Welcome back, everybody, to Unbashful. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Doucette, and I'm excited for another week and another opportunity for me to sit in front of this mic and in front of this camera. And we got a lot of things to discuss today. We're going to kick it off with Don FM, the weekend's new album. And first and foremost, I love this album. I think this album is incredible. Um, now, we're going to answer the question of do I think this album is better than After Hours when I'm done talking about the album and everything else about the weekend. Uh, but first and foremost, my favorite songs on uh, Don FM, I would definitely say Out of Time, Sacrifice, How Do I Make You Love Me, and uh, what's the last one called? Yeah, Don't Break My Heart. Those are definitely my favorite kind of my go-tos. Uh, but if I had to pick one song that I love the most on this entire album, I would probably say it's Out of Time. That is definitely my favorite. Uh, I think I've probably listened to that one the most out of all of them. Um, and I, I really love this kind of 80s sound that we're seeing the weekend kind of adopt. Now, obviously, this this is nothing new in terms of this sound and this genre of music. This is something that's has a long history. But I think the weekend, I love his interpretation on it. And we're starting to see other other artists kind of, you know, bring in that sound of their music as well. Now, first of all, I'm not a, a music expert. I don't make music, obviously. So, you know, this is just coming from a fan's perspective. So just kind of keep that in mind. But I love this. This album is very, it's a lot more lighthearted compared to After Hours. Now, I don't mean that lyrically because The Weeknd is a lot. He's talking a lot about, you know, things that you've heard before, heartbreak, uh, drugs, stuff like that. So he does, from a lyrical perspective, it's not necessarily lighthearted, but from from like the sound in terms of the production and things, things of that nature, it's definitely more lighthearted and upbeat than after hours per se because after hours is kind of a difficult album to listen to uh because it's, it's not very like i said it's not very lighthearted. for me that's no problem but when i'm out with friends for example sometimes i'll try and play after hours i'll throw on let's say uh what's a what's a really good track from after escape from la for example or until i bleed out or even after hours the song those songs are very dark and very just it's it's because of the overall theme and the overall message that he's portraying in that album. I think the weekend said that there's this is almost uh, going to be a trilogy that we're hearing right now, and I guess Don FM is the is the second one in the in the trilogy. So that's kind of exciting to hear. But he has this cinematic tone and message that each album is kind of narrating. It's almost like a storyline that we're hearing through each one of these albums, uh, and. Don FM, like I said, is a lot more bright, a lot more colorful, a lot more in your face. Whereas After Hours is very moody. It's very, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say emo, but I mean to a to a slight degree, a little bit of emo esque kinda. Uh, but I love After Hours, and before Don FM, uh, After Hours was probably my favorite album of all time. Now I'm not some music, you know musical extraordinaire i haven't listened to every single song and album on earth i don't i don't know anybody that has but i'm definitely no anthony fantano uh if any if any of you know who that is which i'm sure you do um but to answer the question is donathan better than after hours it's a difficult question to answer like i said donathan is easier to listen to but After Hours has more hits. It has more, obviously it has the star power. I mean, you have Blinding Lights, arguably Abel's best song he's ever made. 
Uh, you have, um, obviously, like I said, you have uh, uh, Escape from LA. Sorry, drawing a blank. You have um, Heartless, right? Th these are all songs that are that are hits uh, from a commercial standpoint. So Don FM kind of lacks that, but I feel like Don FM has a very cohesive. It, it's very cohesive. Now, After Hours is cohesive as well. There's no songs on that album that seem like they don't belong there. They all kind of match the theme. But I feel like Don FM kind of blends together a little bit better than After Hours. It's definitely tough. But right now, like I, this is my answer right now. I've been thinking about this for the, you know, the whole week from when Don FM dropped to, because as soon as it dropped, I knew I was going to talk about it on this podcast. I mean, if you follow me on Instagram, I posted a story saying I was going to discuss it. But from when Don FM dropped till now, I've, I've been thinking, I've been trying to find the answer to this question. And I think right now I'm confident in saying that I think overall Don FM is a better album than After Hours for me personally. My subjective opinion. I enjoy it more than After Hours. You may disagree with me. You may think both are terrible. That is your opinion. That's your judgment. Me personally, right now, I think it's better than... I think Don FM is better than After Hours. And can we talk about Jim Carrey for a second? I love The weekend's decision to have Jim Carrey kind of come in, come in and out of the album and sort of give little narrations. Like, it, it, it was very... Uh, sinister almost and very cynical hearing him like you are now listening to Don FM like it was just very it, I, I liked it I think it was a great little uh, um, unexpected addition to the album so those are my thoughts on Don FM right now I think it's better than After Hours however just like film your opinion can change over time like I said you can watch something and several years later, you may feel completely different about it. So that remains to be seen. But anyways, now we're going to transition from talking about Don FM. And I'm going to talk about The weekend's music in general. All his albums, all his, all his uh, EPs. And I'm just going to rank them against each other. I'm going to tell you which ones I think are my least favorites compared to which ones I think are my favorites. So let's go and pull up all his music here. I mean, I, I can remember it off the top of my head. I just don't want to accidentally make a mistake and leave one out. Okay, so he's got nine albums here. I mean, I say albums, some of these are EPs, but he's, he's got nine, whatever, collections of music, if you will. Number nine, let's see. Number nine, I would probably say Kissland. Uh, that's definitely my least favorite weekend album, personally. Uh, number eight, I'm probably going to put, keep in mind, I haven't, like, this isn't scripted. I, I, I thought it'd be authentic to just, straight from my, straight from my thoughts, right to the episode and so i haven't actually thought of the order of these now obviously like i do have notes but in terms of the rankings of the, of the weekend's album this is just all off the top of my head here so number nine i got kiss land number number eight number eight number eight um i'm gonna go his ep Echoes of Silence. I'm not going to include Trilogy. I'm just going to break it down to everything. So the Trilogy consists of Echoes of Silence, his three EPs that he first came out with. Echoes of Silence, House of Balloons, and Thursday. So I'm not going to include Trilogy. I'm just going to separate each th each of those EPs and just add them in here. So number eight, Echoes of Silence. Number seven. Uh, number seven, I'm probably going to go... 
Thursday. Yeah, Thursday, number seven. Uh, number six, I'm going to go... Number six, I'm going to go Starboy. Number six, I'm definitely going to go Starboy. Number five, top five here. Number five, House of Balloons. Can't leave that off. Classic. Probably, in my opinion, out of the three EPs that he threw, that he sort of grouped together for the trilogy, uh, I think House of Balloons is definitely my favorite of the three. So number five, House of Balloons. Number four, uh, number four here, I'm going to go uh, Beauty Behind the Madness. Yep, Beauty Behind the Madness. Number three, I'm going to go My Dear Melancholy. Uh, yeah, My Dear Melancholy. I, I, I was kind of contemplating for a second. I was like, do I really want to put Beauty Behind the Madness before or after uh, My Dear Melancholy? But I mean, Beauty Behind the Madness, in my opinion, I mean, obviously it's got Can't Feel My Face, Often, The Hills, three classics, one of the weekend's biggest hits. But other than that, the rest of the album for me is kind of kind of mid, to be honest. I mean, you have songs like Labyrinth, uh, Prisoners. Um, so, I mean, you know, not bad, but uh, for me personally, that's kind of how I feel about uh, Beauty Behind the Madness. So, uh, number two, obviously, at this point, we know number two, After Hours, number one, Don FM. I think that's a pretty good list. I think that's I think that's a pretty solid list. I'm curious to see for you guys listening, if you guys are also a big fan of The Weeknd like I am, tell me your favorite albums of his and uh, we'll kind of share our thoughts down in the comments section. So that is going to wrap up The Weeknd discussion. Now, moving on here. So I do want to recognize the unfortunate passing of Sydney. Uh, Poitier. I'm sure everybody's probably heard this news. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Sydney, Sydney was the first African American actor to win the Oscar award for best actor. Obviously, incredibly significant. Um, he started films such as A Patch of Blue, uh, No Way Out, and Slender Thread, and then of course his Oscar winning role being uh, Lilies of the Field. He will be incredibly missed and uh, a trailblazer in the entertainment industry. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. And moving on, we are going, I'm going to be talking about this year's comic book films. We have a big year here in 2022 for comic book films, series, shows, etc. And I'm going to talk about the film specifically, and I'm going to give my ranking before really any of them have actually, yeah, before any of them have come out, I'm going to talk about what the rankings I, or how I think these films will rank up against each other. Now, like I said, keep in mind, none of these films have come out yet. So at the end of this year, I'm going to revisit this list and I'm going to see if I feel the same. Uh, but before Sorry about that. Before I get into this list, I do want to let you guys know that down in the description below, you will see I do have an Amazon affiliate link. Now, I just want to let you guys know that I it's incredibly cold out. We all know that. It's winter. It's that time of year when we're putting out a lot of layers. And with my Amazon affiliate link, you'll find links directly to hats, coats, you know, scarves, socks, etc. And if you guys want to support me, want to support the channel, it's completely free. You're not going to, you know, I mean, it's Amazon. Everybody uses Amazon. 
If you click my affiliate link, you're not going to get charged any extra fees, any of that. You're just going to be supporting me in the channel. So no pressure. You don't have to if you don't want to, but I would greatly appreciate it. And if you feel so kind to do that, click the link down below and you guys can get yourself hats, coats, and things like that to help keep you bundled up for the winter. But anyways, with that out of the way, let's get into the list. Now, number 10, I got Batgirl. Um, now, when I was making this list, it was kind of difficult, but I... I I am getting excited as each day goes by for Batgirl. Now, I do think it's a mistake to keep this film exclusively on HBO Max. I think with the cast and everybody involved in the film, I don't know why they just won't release it theatrically and do what they're doing on HBO Max, giving that theatrical 45-day window and then putting it on HBO Max. But for Batgirl, this is an exclusive HBO Max film. I don't really quite understand the decision, and I, I kind of wish they would just put it in theaters first and then release it on HBO Max. But uh, when I was developing this list, a few days after that, there was a leak and a photo of what seems to be Michael Keaton's Batman and Robin on this sort of like brick wall mural that the set is, that, that it's like a set piece behind the scenes that they're uh, putting together. And that probably confirms the rumors of The Flash that they are going to essentially retcon all the events of the Snyderverse films uh, that is kind of confusing though, because we still have Jason Momoa as Aquaman. We still have Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. So, but I'm sure they're going to find a way to answer that in a way that's cohesive in a way that makes sense. So number 10, I got Batgirl. Number nine, I got Black Adam. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not really very interested in, in, uh, in Black Adam. I've talked about this movie before on the show and it seems interesting Black Adam is definitely one of the most powerful characters in the DCEU. He could definitely give Superman a run for his money. But overall, I mean, I saw the teaser. It just, to me, I'm going to need to see more before I'm really interested in this film. So for me, compared to the other films, I think this is going to rank number nine. Number eight, Aquaman, The Lost Kingdom. Uh, I love Jason Momoa as Aquaman, and I'm really excited to see him and all the other returning characters, actors, and actresses return for that sequel um we all know how much of a hit uh, excuse me a hit an unexpected hit rather uh, i don't think anybody really thought aquaman was going to make a billion dollars at the box office certainly i didn't so with that there's clearly an interest and a passion for this character and i think this eighth or the second film in this trilogy that they're building i think it's going to be incredible will it be better than the first We'll have to find out. Uh, number seven, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1. Uh, I gotta say, I do think Into the Spider-Verse, while a pleasant surprise, is incredibly overrated. People talk about this film as if it's one of the best comic book films of all time. And there's a lot of comic book films out there. And don't get me wrong, this is definitely like top 20. Top 10? I don't know about that. Uh, so, but it's... In my opinion, I think it's going to go number seven against these other six films. Number six, I got Morbius. Uh, I talked about Morbius on my last episode. I'm excited for this film for the wrong reasons. I'm excited for the Spider-Man answers that we're going to get. I'm not really excited for the Morbius character. Uh, number five, I got The Flash. Uh, kind of like with the Batgirl, as each day goes by, I'm getting more and more excited for this film because we're starting to hear that this... That the plot, the 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 flashpoint plot that they're implementing into this film, is going to sort of start a new 
direction and set a new path for the DCEU. And I'm hearing rumors that Michael Keaton is going to be the main Batman of this universe now for, I guess, the foreseeable future. That's kind of interesting considering Michael Keaton's like going to be 70 or something like that. Uh, are they going to de-age him? I mean, I'm not too sure. A lot of questions and a lot of interest. So number five, I think that's going to be the Flash. Number four, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I'm excited for this film. Now, obviously, Chadwick Boseman isn't in this film. Uh, we all know that he unfortunately passed away. And I'm really curious to see how they're going to explain his passing because we all know that they're not recasting the character. I do think we're going to see a new Black Panther in the MCU, but I don't I don't think just recasting him is a good idea. I've talked about this, you know, many times before. I'm not going to get into my opinions on it, but overall I do think it's interesting that we do know that there is going to be another Black Panther because Marvel just released some cover art of all the superheroes that are in the MCU right now and there was a little sort of like cut photo, sorry, in the frame, half of Black Panther's body was cut off, but you can see it's a completely different suit. It almost has some purple into it as well. So that looks really exciting. And I'm curious to see who is going to pick up the mantle of Black Panther. Is it going to be Shuri? Is it going to be M'Baku? I'm really excited. Um, so number four, like I said, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And of all the films that I have questions for the most, that film definitely I have the most questions for. Actually, scratch that. Scratch that because the next film here, number three, Doctor Strange, I think this is going to be the third best comic book film of the year. Uh, we're going to talk about this film in particular after. We're going to talk about all the rumored and speculated uh, cameos that are supposed to happen in this film, but... I think it's going to be the third best comic book film. Uh, I mean, after Doctor, after Spider-Man No Way Home, I think people are just excited to see where Doctor Strange goes to next, especially after the spell that he casted and all the multiversal damage that could possibly happen as a repercussion from that. So number two. Number two, we got Thor Love and Thunder. Not enough people are really talking about this film and I... I think that's just because none of the marketing has really started yet, but I think once we get a trailer or at least some kind of teaser out, I think it's definitely going to get people talking about this film. But with the success and the uh, in, 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 in the overall enjoyment of Thor Ragnarok, I mean, I, me personally, I think it's the best film in that trilogy so far, but I think this is actually, this is the first MCU uh, IP that is getting its fourth film in the franchise. Now we've seen characters appear in other people's films, but in terms of a solo franchise film, Thor is the first one to get a fourth film. And like I mentioned, Thor Love of Thunder for me is my favorite out of all the Thor films. Um, but I think Thor Love of Thunder is going to be better. It's the same director. We have the Guardians coming in, apparently for a very significant role in the film. Uh, and telling by the behind-the-scenes sets uh, and, and the set pieces and locations, we know that Christian Bale is going to be playing Gore the God Butcher as the as the antagonist of the film. Incredibly excited about, about that. Uh, Thor has a new suit. He's jacked again, looking good. So I'm excited 
for this film. I think it's going to be hilarious. Like Taika Waititi did had that humor in Thor Ragnarok. I think the action is going to be great. I think it's going to be very grand and scale and cosmic and stuff like that. You guys all know I love the cosmic MCU films. Now, number one, number one should be no surprise. I haven't talked about it yet, and there's a reason. It's because it's my number one film. I think it's going to be the number one comic book film of 2022, and that is The Batman. I think The Batman is going to be the best comic book film of the year. Might even be one of the best films of the year, period. Uh, So yeah, that is going to wrap up my top 10 films. Sorry, it's going to wrap up my top 10 comic book film tier list of 2022. Now keep in mind, these films have not come out yet. So my opinion will probably change at least, you know, slightly or significantly. And we will revisit this list as time goes on. Now, with Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, if you've kept up with this film and you've kept up, you've kept up with the leaks and the rumors, there's a lot of heroes from the Fox X-Men films, uh, the Fantastic Four films that we've seen in the past, um, and then also characters we haven't seen yet, all being rumored to make a an appearance, whether it's a slight cameo or a significant role in the film. So, for me, I wrote down a list of all of the... Uh, characters that have been rumored to be making a return or an appearance in this film. And I'm going to be talking about, I'm going to go through each one of them and I'm going to just, I'm just going to flat out say yes or no, if I believe they're going to be in the film or not. Uh, First off, let's go Ben Affleck as Daredevil. I do not think this is going to happen at all. Now I do believe that Marvel reached out to him, but I don't think he's going to do this unless Marvel throws him 30 million or something, which they're not going to do. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't believe Ben Affleck is going to be reprising his role as Daredevil in a cameo in this film. I mean, if you've kept up with Ben Affleck recently, he actually said that he's, he doesn't want to pursue any more IP driven films. So basically he doesn't want to pursue any, any more franchise films, like obviously Batman. So by him saying that, that doesn't lead me to believe that he would want to come back as Daredevil either. I don't even, that, that film wasn't really successful and a lot of people don't even, no, Ben Affleck actually was Daredevil. So no, I don't think Ben Affleck is going to be playing or is going to be coming back as Daredevil. Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Uh, this is a maybe for me. Um, I'm probably leaning towards no, but I'm I I I don't feel incredibly confident to just flat out say no yet. Like with Ben Affleck, I immediately once I saw the reports. I immediately was like, no, there, there's no way he's going to be coming back as Daredevil. But with Wolverine, mm, possibly at, at this time. But right now, I probably would side a little towards no. But for me, I'm going to kind of just say I'm right in the middle. I think I'm, I'm, I'm a maybe right now. Tom Hiddleston as Loki. Yes, I do believe that he's going to be returning, especially with the multiversal tear that just happened with him, Sylvie, and Kang the Conqueror in the Loki series. So I do think and I hope that we're going to see Tom Hiddleston reprise his role as Loki in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. Next, Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. I do believe that Ryan Reynolds is going to make his MCU debut in Doctor Strange because overall... This film is a good way to introduce new characters because it's the multiverse. There's infinite, there's an infinite amount of 
versions of other characters and alternate characters that we haven't seen before. So I feel, and we already know that Kevin Feige said that while the X-Men characters may be, you know, kind of questionable in terms of, you know, them returning, uh, they have said that Daredevil, or not Daredevil, I wrote Ryan Reynolds' Daredevil on my list. My bad. Deadpool. That's what I meant to say. They Kevin Feige has said that Deadpool will be coming into the MCU. So we know that for sure. So it just kind of makes sense from a narrative perspective to introduce him in this film since the multiverse is going to be explored. Uh, and I mean, I guess in a way you could say that for a lot of these other characters. But we don't know, and I hope, that the X-Men characters from the Fox universe... We don't know if they're going to be coming back full-time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I believe some of them will be making a cameo, but I do believe that it's going to be a complete restructure of that franchise. I think in the future, we will see, probably within the next couple of years, I do think we are going to see another Wolverine, like a new Wolverine, a new Professor X, a new Magneto, you know, so on. Um, but Daredevil, or I keep saying Daredevil, Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds, yes, I think we're going to see him. Owen Wilson, his character Agent Mobius from Loki, I don't believe we're going to see him in this. Uh, as to why, I don't know, I just, it's possible. I wouldn't be shocked, but I personally don't think we're going to see him. Um, we could, but I, right now, I'm going with my gut. No, for Mobius. Sophia D. Martino as Sylvie. I really love that character first and foremost, but I don't believe that she's going to be in this film. I think what happened with her and Kang, I mean, she obviously killed, you know, that version of Kang that we saw, uh, Kang the Conqueror in Loki, and that's essentially what tore the multiverse open. Um, I don't believe we're going to see her because I feel like what happened right after that moment, she probably just fled the scene and went somewhere else and did did whatever. Uh, but I mean, we're obviously going to see her in Loki season two, but I don't believe we're going to see her in the multiverse of madness. Now the original fantastic four cast members. So I'm talking, I mean, Chris Evans, uh, who's the other cast members. Um, I, I, I can't remember their names off the top of my head here. Fantastic forecast 2005. Yeah. I don't think we're going to see Jessica Alba, uh, Yon Gruffid, definitely pronounced that wrong. Michael Chiklis as the as the thing. Yeah, I, I don't think, definitely not the Doctor Doom of that film. Apparently, Julian Julian Mc, McMahon. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see any of them come back. I hope we don't. It would be kind of funny to see, uh, you know, Chris Evans come back as a human torch. But I personally, I, I'd rather that not happen. Uh, moving on, Patrick Stewart as Professor X. I do believe this is going to happen. Now, before I get into details, I do want to warn you guys what I'm about to talk about could be a spoiler for the film because this is apparently uh, a leak. Now, some of this is just straight up rumors. There's a difference between a leak and a rumor. A leak can come from a credible source who has, you know, who has a history of leaking information that has come to, uh, that that has happened. That, that, I mean, we've seen that with Spider-Man No Way Home. So, and a rumor is just fans speculating, kind of like what I'm doing right now, but there have been many leaks regarding Patrick Stewart. So a lot of the, from very credible sources. So what I'm about to talk about could happen in the film. So you've been warned. 
but yes, I do believe that Patrick Stewart is going to be in this film. Now, the Illuminati is rumored to be a part of this film. Now, for those of you who don't know what the Illuminati are in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I mean, we've all heard of the Illuminati in, you know, in today, in, in society. It's one of the biggest conspiracies on Earth. But in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the Illuminati consists of the strongest heroes in, you know, out of the, you know, MCU. But this this version of the Illuminati is going to be different because it's going to be it's going to consist of different heroes from different you know universes. So that's why there's rumors of even Tom Cruise coming uh, coming in as Iron Man from an alternate timeline, an alternate uh, universe. Uh, we're going to get into that. So, but in this cast and crew of the Illuminati, one of the members is uh, leaked to be Professor X. And Patrick Stewart specifically playing Professor X. Now, apparently James McAvoy is also rumored to come back as well as uh, Professor X. But I, I personally don't think that we're going to see James McAvoy reprise his role as a younger Charles Xavier. I do think that we will for sure see Professor X uh, or see Patrick Stewart come back as Professor X. Because apparently he is the one who is spearheading the, uh, excuse me, the Illuminati. And apparently there's, I'm sure some of you have seen it, but there's actually photos of, of uh, a very early CGI picture version, whatever you want to call it, of what it looks like Doctor Strange being carried in by almost like henchmen to uh, to see Professor X. Almost like he is testifying or, or, he's, putting, or he's, he's being put on the stand. Almost like he's being put to trial. So uh, that I definitely believe is going to happen. Now, I just mentioned this Tom Cruise as Iron Man. I do believe that this is going to happen. Now, maybe this is just me wanting to believe that this is going to happen, whether than, you know, or will this actually happen? This could just be wishful thinking on my behalf, but I personally do think that we are going to see Tom Cruise very briefly make an appearance as a different version of Iron Man. Some people are saying he's going to be coming in wearing a different suit, almost like a silver suit. Uh, I hope he just, if, if they're going to bring Tom Cruise into this film as Iron Man briefly, I hope he doesn't stay for a significant amount of time. I hope he just shows up in the red and gold armor that we are accustomed to seeing with Robert Downey Jr. I think that'd be really cool. And they've talked about how this film is going to be incredibly wacky, you know, bonkers compared to anything we've seen in the MCU. So if they're really, you know, putting their money where their mouth is, they should get Tom Cruise to make a slight appearance as Iron Man since they're going to be exploring the multiverse. Uh, next, Captain Carter. Uh, no, I don't believe we're going to see Captain Carter uh, come come in this film. Um, last time we saw her was at the end of Avengers Endgame when uh, when Captain America finally got his his own little timeline to spend the rest of his life with Agent Carter. But I don't believe we're going to see her as Captain Carter, which is basically... An alternate version where Steve Rogers never was Captain America, and instead Agent Carter took up the shield and became uh, Captain Carter. Now I know we've seen it in What If, but I mean, personally, I don't believe we're gonna see Captain Carter in this film. Next, Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man. Yes, I do believe we're gonna be. I do believe he's going to be in this film. I mean, the connections are the, the connections are already there. Sam Raimi obviously is directing this film. Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi directed the. Tobey Maguire Spider-Man films and there's been rumors and actual leaks that Sam Raimi has expressed his interest in having Tobey Maguire come back in this film. 
And obviously with the success of No Way Home, it's Sony's biggest film they've ever made. Uh, I, I definitely think that we will see uh, Tobey Maguire. Now, the leaks have suggested, once again, leaks, take it with a grain of salt, but you're being warned this could happen. The leaks are suggesting that Tobey Maguire is just going to hop in the booth and do a little bit of voice acting, and we're never actually going to see his face on screen. It's more or less probably just going to be the stuntman wearing the Spider-Man costume or just some CGI version uh, of the costume. But we're not actually going to see Tobey Maguire's face. Um, that would be a little bit disappointing. But hell, even if I can just get his, you know, audio and, you know, my imagination will just convince me that it's him on screen. Uh, next, speaking of Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield. Uh, I do believe we're going to see him come back. I, I can almost 100% guarantee he's going to come back in, uh, in, uh, in the MCU. But I don't believe we're going to see him come back. In this film specifically, I think we'll either see him come back maybe in his own third film, possibly, or probably in maybe Spider-Man 4 with Tom Holland. But I'm not quite sure where we'll see Andrew Garfield. I'm almost certain we'll see him again in the MCU, but I don't think it's going to be in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. Uh, Next, Michael Keaton. I... Michael Keaton as Vulture, sorry. Uh, I do think we're going to see a Michael Keaton come back as Vulture because uh, about a couple months ago, Doctor Strange was actually doing something for the Multiverse of Madness. There were some reshoots happening for the film. Benedict Cumberbatch was, uh, was on Jimmy Kimmel talking about how they're doing, how they're doing some reshoots. Um, and then right around that same time, Michael Keaton was also on another late night show, and he also meant, excuse me, he also mentioned how he is doing some vulture, uh, some vulture scenes, but he didn't say for what film. Now, for me, I don't believe it's a coincidence that Doctor Strange: Multiverse of Madness was doing reshoots right as Michael Keaton came out and said, "Hey, I'm doing some vulture stuff." I don't believe that's a coincidence. I think that we are going to see uh, Vulture Michael Keaton. Come back in the multiverse of madness. Uh, next, Tilda Swinton, the ancient one. I don't believe we're going to see her come back. I think her appearance in Avengers Endgame was probably the final one. Uh, but I think this film is kind of setting up the possibility of Avengers Secret Wars. And I do think that if we get uh, a Secret Wars film being the fifth Avengers film, I do think that we could see a different version of of the ancient one in some other, you know, multiverse or some other universe. Uh, Next, the last one here on my list, Kang the Conqueror. I do believe that we are going to see Jonathan Majors come in this film as Kang the Conqueror. He's essentially been the catalyst to all this multiverse destruction that's been happening. Uh, And and we do know that he is going to be the main antagonist of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So I do believe that we are going to see him briefly. We may not actually see him, but I think if we're going to see Loki come in this film, I do believe that Doctor Strange is going to come to him. And then I think we're going to see the the uh, the statue of Kang, the Conqueror. Uh, sorry about that. I do think we could see a statue of Kang, the Conqueror, or we could just straight up see Jonathan Major just show up uh, as, you know, Kang with the purple suit on and stuff like that, uh, and the blue eyes and, and all that. Um... 
So yes, I do think he's going to be in this film. Now that is going to wrap up the list here. I know there's probably been some other characters, but the this list here consists of the most buzz and the most discussion that I've seen amongst the fan community of, will, you know, will Tom Cruise come back or will Ben Affleck come back? So that is my list. Those are the characters that I think will not be in this film and that will be in this film. So now we're going to discuss sort of some news going on uh, amongst the world and amongst the film community here. Uh, I'm here in Canada right now, specifically Ontario, and unfortunately, theaters are, well, actually not even just in Ontario, excuse me, theaters are getting shut down across the world. Now, obviously, there's some states and some provinces that still have their uh, theaters open just because maybe cases aren't as high. But uh, there are many parts of the world where theaters are getting shut down. And because of that, we're seeing several delays across the board, which I'm going to get into. Uh, But specifically here in Canada, theaters are shut down. And right now, we really don't have a concrete date as to when they're they're going to reopen. It all just depends upon how fast can the cases dip and curb. Um, So that's unfortunate, especially me. I got some movie gift cards for Christmas, so... You know, kind of sad to, uh, you know, have have to just let those sit for a little while. But even when theaters reopen, I am not returning to them until not only can I sit in the theater and watch a film, but I can actually eat food. Because right before theaters shut down, they tried to, you know, take some measures in removing, you know, drinks and food. And I gotta, I gotta say, that is a smart thing to do. It is smart because if I could at least have theaters open, sure. But after going to see a couple films and having that experience of not being able to drink and eat food, it's just so different. And I just, I don't like it. It's, it's not, it's just kind of uncomfortable because every time I go to the, th- to the theater, I always got to at least get a drink. And for me to not even get a drink, I mean, some of these films are almost three hours long. I'm getting thirsty. I need a fucking drink. I need to cleanse my palate. And I can't even at least do that. It, it's, it's just like. Sometimes I find myself just trying to reach for canning and then I'm like, oh, I don't have any because I'm not allowed to buy any. Now, I understand why, but for me personally, I'm not going back to the theaters until obviously, first of all, theaters reopen and two, uh, we can actually eat and drink food. Even if I could just get a drink, that'll be enough for me because going two and a half hours without at least drinking water, I don't know. I might just sound like kind of a wuss, but uh, that's just me. Um, so yeah, theaters shut down in certain parts of the world for me specifically. Uh, and because of that, uh, for, we got Morbius delayed till April. I kind of saw this coming, especially with Omicron going running rampant right now. Uh, but we are seeing in certain parts of the world that they are actually kind of on the downslope with Omicron. Cases are going down, places are reopening. So hopefully that'll happen sooner than later here in Ontario for myself. Uh, so yeah, Morbius delayed till April. Uh, we got some Ben Affleck news. Ben Affleck kind of talked openly in, a, in an interview, I think, with the LA Times. He just kind of talked about his experience playing the role of Bruce Wayne Batman and talked about some of the difficulties and the challenges that came with that. Uh, and he talked about his experience on The Flash, which will be his last time playing the Batman character. Um, and like I mentioned earlier in the episode, he also talked about how, I guess, through that experience working on Batman and other IP franchises that he doesn't really want to pursue those, you know, big franchise films anymore. He kind of wants to just focus on, you know, some of the, some of the more smaller indie art house films, you know, whatever. Um, and 
we all, well, for some of you, if you've kept up with the Batman, I mean, obviously we have the Robert Pattinson Batman coming out, which like I mentioned, I'm, you know, head over heels excited for, I think it could be the best film of this year, but before Robert Pattinson even, you know, being considered to play Batman, we originally had Ben Affleck, he was going to write, direct, produce, and obviously star in the Batman. So he was going to just have both hands on the wheel. And as time went on, he dropped out of the directing chair and then he handed it over to Matt Reeves. And then eventually, I think he even said he's not going to write the film. Or I think, no, sorry. He had a script written for the film already, but I think some sort of studio, you know, agendas and meddling with, you know, maybe Jeff Johns or I, I don't know the story. This is just what I've heard from, you know, online and, you know, I obviously take it with a grain of salt, but, you know, eventually he just withdrew himself from the project entirely. It started with, you know, he's not going to direct it. Now Matt Reese is going to direct it. And then inevitably he just said, you know, this, I, I'm not going to do this anymore. So, um, and he talks about that specifically. Now this quote I'm about to read comes from Kevin Fellin. Uh, hopefully I pronounced that right. Or, or Pellin. I'm not too sure. Uh, this comes from Kevin Pellin of Scream Rant. Uh, and I quote, it says, I, this is coming from Ben Affleck. I looked at directing, or I looked at, and then referring to Batman, I looked at it, I looked at it and thought, I'm not going to be happy doing this. The person who does this should love it. Obviously, Matt Reeves is very passionate about the project. He goes on to say, you're supposed to always want these things. And I probably would have loved doing it at 32 or something. But it was at the point where I started to realize it's not worth it. It's just a wonderful benefit of reorienting and recalibrating your priorities that once it started being more about the experience, I felt more at ease. Uh, so basically in a nutshell, uh, it just kind of just seems like he lost the passion for playing the character. From that quote, to me at least, it kind of just seems like the passion at that point was possibly lost um and we're going to get into some of the factors that have probably contributed to him losing the passion for the character of batman but that is kind of like the takeaway that i get from reading that quote um and and, and like i mentioned i think this also stems from his experience specifically from the justice league i i, I don't think he i mean there you know there's the sad affleck meme from him doing press for uh uh Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice, but I think the experience for him telling just by the quotes and by the articles, I think the experience that really sort of made him decide that I think I need to part ways from playing this character was the Justice League. And we actually have information about that specifically regarding the Justice League and the reshoots with the, you know, with Joss Whedon having to uh, coming to step in and everything. Um, this quote comes from Josh Roddenberg from the L from the LA times. Uh, at Los Angeles Times, let me see here. Um, yeah, so Ben Affleck says, and I quote, it was really Justice League that was the nadir for me. That was a bad experience because of a confluence of things. Uh, my, my own life, my divorce, being away too much, the competing agendas, and then Zack Snyder... Uh, and Zack Snyder's personal tragedy, because unfortunately his daughter at that time while shooting the film back in 2017, she tragically took her own life and passed away. So because of that, obviously Zack Snyder had to step away from the project. And obviously, you know, that that's the logical thing to do. 
but they had to find a new director because they weren't finished filming the or shooting the film. So they had to bring so they brought in Joss Whedon. And at that time, people would probably assume, myself included, that's a great you know, pick up as a director. This is a guy who directed the Avengers. Avengers at that time he had already directed he had already directed Age of Ultron and the first Avengers films, which turned out to be blockbuster hits. So but I just think Joss Whedon's vision and the humor he liked to he likes to implement in the film and just all you know the the sort of you know wackiness almost I think that fits a little bit more it fits a little bit better in the Marvel films compared to the DC films, you know, that have been that have been known, especially Batman and, you know, Superman. Those films can be a little bit darker and definitely don't have that MCU kind of, you know, feel to them. Obviously, they're not. They're DC films. Uh, and I think that just didn't his sort of vision and direction he wanted to take this film. I just don't think it fit very well with these characters. Um, and he goes on to say... Uh, it, it was just the worst experience or sorry. He said, and the reshooting, it was just the worst experience. It was awful. It was everything that I didn't like about this. That became the moment where I said, I'm not doing this anymore. It's not even about like justice league was so bad because it could have been anything. And that is the most important part because I'm seeing a lot of content creators and a lot of people making headlines just about him saying justice league was the worst experience and people are taking that and running with these headlines and portraying the message that he's saying the film and shooting the film was bad because just like just because he thought the film was bad that's not the case there was external reasons as to why his experience was so bad and i also found other articles that were saying that he was also dealing with uh uh, you know, alcohol abuse during that time. So th- even more external things that were happening to make that experience bad for him. It was more personal for him rather than just like the film being bad or, or he didn't like the script or something like none of that had influence in him saying it was the worst experience. But of course we know how these headliners and, and how these news outlets work. They will just take the smallest little bit of information with a providing context, not all of them, but some of them do that without providing context and just running with it was the worst experience he hates everybody involved he hates every he hates henry cavill he hates joss whedon that's not the case at all but people are misinterpreting it and believing that that is that is those are the reasons why it was the worst experience where it says right here i'll read it again it's not even about like justice league was so bad because it could have been anything so he right that he clearly just says it's it wasn't it wasn't justice league I had my own shit going on. He didn't say that. That's just how I interpret it. Um, and and there, there's more information about it. Um, and, and in terms of Ben Affleck as Batman, for me personally, from a pure comic book, you know, staying true to the source material, I think I appreciate and I like Ben Affleck's Batman the most. Now, Christian, excuse me, that's my cat. Um, (laughs) Christian Bale holds a special place in my heart because, you know, I grew up watching his films, but I always kind of had a problem with Christian Bale's bat suit. I just didn't feel like he looked very big. Um, I know it's hard to capture the size and the, you know, the masculine or not masculinity, the, the, the muscles and stuff like that. 
of the comic book character. Because, I mean, the comic book, Bruce Wayne looks like he's 600 pounds all muscle. That's obviously unrealistic to portray in a live-action film. But I always kind of felt that, aside from Bat- Batman Begins, because I actually really enjoyed... Uh, well, not enjoyed. I really liked the, the suit that he wears in the Batman Begins film. And then he wears it briefly in the beginning of The Dark Knight. But then he gets this more sort of like tactical, almost SWAT ninja looking kind of suit. And for me, I always kind of had a, you know, it wasn't, wasn't my favorite. Didn't look terrible. Not as bad as like the, the bat nipple suit from, you know, the Val Kilmer, George Clooney films. Um, but Ben Affleck for me, I loved him as Batman. And I was really upset when I heard that he wasn't going to be coming back as Batman until we obviously heard that he was going to make one final appearance in The Flash. And speaking of The Flash, I think he also said something, I'm paraphrasing here, but he also said something along the lines of like, out of all my experiences playing Batman, I am extremely proud. And I, he's basically, he basically said his favorite experience playing the character was on the upcoming Flash movie. And he said, I... I'm paraphrasing once again, but he basically said, like, I'm really proud of what we did with that film, of what my performance in that film. So that's great to hear. Uh, at least he didn't have a, you know, unfortunate experience with The Flash, you know, because it, it, it would be kind of unfortunate for him to leave the character sort of with a sour taste in his mouth. And I think that's probably why he came back for The Flash and also to probably give, you know, the character of Bruce Wayne, Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne, a proper uh, you know, goodbye in a way that makes sense. Because if, if they didn't, they would have to find some weird way to address in the future DCEU films, why we're not seeing Ben Affleck's Batman. So I think from a narrative perspective, you know, he wanted to return to sort of give his, his send off. And then also just for himself or his own, you know, sake playing the character. I'm sure he probably wanted to just get one good final experience and leave on a high note rather than leaving with justice league being his final film as the character. So at least he could have some fond memories playing Batman. But um, yeah, and that's kind of like the news regarding Ben Affleck. Like I mentioned, I'm really upset that we're not going to get a solo Ben Affleck Batman because that was rumored to have Deathstroke. And we did see Deathstroke in the cut scene, the post credit scene of uh, the Justice League film. We saw him interacting with Lex Luthor. So they were kind of building and setting up that character to be the man, the main antagonist of that uh, of that film of the solo Batman film, but you know what? I'm happy with the way it turned out. I'm excited for Robert Pattinson, and I think he's gonna kick ass in this role as this character is Bruce Wayne, and I'm excited. And to sort of conclude today's episode, uh, I kind of mentioned Andrew Garfield earlier and how I'm almost positive that we're gonna see him return as Spider-Man at some point. I mean, due to a couple obvious reasons, the first of which being the huge success of the big success of Spider-Man No Way Home, Sony's biggest film of all time, first billion dollar film uh, in the COVID era. Um, it's it's under it's on a short list of billion dollar films, period. Um, so we all know that it's it's been a huge success. And uh, we actually have Andrew Garfield finally speaking about his experience in No Way Home. He's finally actually said like, hey, I'm in this film because the whole year he's been doing press for films like Mainstream and Tick, Tick, Boom. And all they've asked him is Spider is about Spider-Man. And he's done a really good job of saying like, I didn't get a call. I'm not a part of this. But as a fan, I'm excited to see what they're going to do. But that whole time, he knew damn well he was in the film. And, you know, he had done, he'd, been, he'd already shot, shot scenes for the film. So 
And people really relished and really loved him coming back. I think people didn't appreciate Andrew Garfield's approach to the character until now. I think this film was really a love letter to Andrew Garfield's, you know, short little run as Spider-Man. Because he was almost like the middle child between the older brother being Tobey Maguire and obviously the youngest brother being our Spider-Man that we have currently, Tom Holland. And I think people now really appreciate not only how authentic and how charismatic and you know all three actors are charismatic in their own way playing Peter Parker but I think I think from just Peter Parker alone now who portrays Spider-Man the best I think the best from a pure comic book perspective Tom Holland I'll give that to Tom Holland but I've always said Tobey Maguire is my favorite but just from like looking at it without you know rose tinted glasses Tom Holland portrays Spider-Man for the purists at least, the best, but from just Peter Parker though, just Peter Parker, not, you know, Spider-Man, not web swinging around, just Peter Parker, I always saw Andrew Garfield did the best job portraying Peter Parker, just from, you know, the daily life as a high school kid, um, his interactions at home with Aunt May and Uncle Ben, I always just really, really liked him as Peter Parker, and I think people are really starting to appreciate him more, and that's why the biggest you know, outcry from the fan community once Spider-Man No Way Home came out was bring Amazing Spider-Man 3 to the big screen. Let's get it. Let's conclude and let's give him his trilogy that he never got to finish. Uh, we know that there were some teases with, you know, Ravencroft and, and, and all the stuff of the Sinister Six. If they make a third film, it's definitely not going to go down that rabbit hole. It's obviously going to be a new storyline. I hope so. Um... But, you know, even with Amazing Spider-Man 2, it's definitely not one of the best. It's actually one of my least favorite Spider-Man films. There are some redeeming qualities. I thought the fight scenes were incredibly entertaining. I thought the visual effects were, like, amazing. No pun intended. Um, there's some redeeming qualities. I think the storyline and the dynamic and the, and the relationship between, you know, Gwen Stacy and Peter Parker in the film was really incredible. And I'm I'm so surprised at this day that they Sony had the balls to really kill her her character off in that second film, considering they probably still had plans to make a third, fourth, maybe even fifth film, whatever, however long they were gonna go with Andrew Garfield. But anyways, let's get into his quote. Andrew Garfield was in an interview and he was asked directly, and this comes this quote and this information comes from Matt Donnelly of Variety. Matt Donnelly asked, starting simple, why did you say yes to No Way Home? And Andrew Garfield ended up saying, I wasn't expecting to ever have a conversation again about potentially playing Peter Parker. I felt very excited to just be a fan again, which we've heard him say. But I got his, I got this call from Amy Pascal and Kevin Feige and John Watts with this idea. I was immediately, it was, it was immediately undeniable. It sounded incredibly fun, incredibly spiritual trippy and thematically interesting on a base level as a spider-man fan just the idea of seeing three spider-man in the same frame was enough and he is speaking you could tell he is actually a fan you could tell he really is passionate about this character because he understands the way fans you know understand like just being able to see the three of them on screen in a live action he understands the weight and the magnitude and how special of a moment that would be for anybody that's a fan of this character. And uh, yeah, that's that's probably going to cap off episode 18. Um, I think episode 19, I'm going to have a returning guest on the show. I'm not going to say who. And then I think we're also going to have a new guest. 
but nothing is for certain. Take it with a grain of salt. I'm still kind of ironing at the details. I'm sure at some point we'll probably have both of them on, but I'm going to try or at some point I'm going to try, but I'm going to try and get both of them on next week for episode 19. Um, as always, thank you guys for listening and watching. I will see you on episode 19. Have a fantastic day.